Thanks for joining me on Jesus and Books. I'm Jason Comley. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about the book, The Christ Who Heals, How God Restored the Truth That Saves Us, by Fiona Givens and Terrell Givens. So let me talk about the title first. You're probably wondering about how God restored the truth. This book is coming from a Latter-day Saint perspective, also known as the Mormons. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And what that references, how God restored the truth, what that's in reference to is that we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ was restored to the earth in the 19th century by the prophet Joseph Smith. And a reason why a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ was necessary is because there had been a, there was plain and precious to, truths missing and that there had been a distortion and a mischaracterization of God the Father and Jesus Christ. So this book discusses in what this mischaracterization is and how it came about, the origins of, of certain words. It's quite interesting. They say that it came about by well-meaning reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin, who essentially said that man is not capable of good and that we have no free will and that there nothing is left to chance and everything is governed by God. And also along that same line is that man's sole purpose in life is to glorify God. That was why we were brought here on this earth. And in that context, God the Father and Jesus Christ seem distant, uncaring, and egomaniacal. And that kind of characterization, I think, pushes people away from God the Father and Jesus Christ rather than draw us closer to them. So this mischaracterization has really affected our relationship with them. Now, they include this quote from Plato, the great philosopher Plato. That wasn't his actual name. I think it was Aristocles. Plato is, was actually a nickname given to him. He was a champion wrestler. And I think... Uh, Plato means broad or broad-shouldered one, something like that. But what he said was that he who framed this whole universe was good, and one who is good can never become jealous of anything. And so, being free of jealousy, he wanted everything to become as much like himself as was possible. The book goes on to argue that you know, our heavenly parents created us for our glory and not theirs. And that Jesus Christ orients his entire activity around bringing us to where he is. We know that in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Be ye therefore perfect as I am. Would not a master teacher teach a student how and patiently work with that student? so that student could learn how to be like him. 
So they take certain issues with, with words, how words have been misappropriated or confused, and how it may be helpful to use different words or use, think of words in different contexts. And while I was reading this book, it reminded me of this podcast I heard a couple of months ago. It was an interview with an author about his book. And the author is uh, Tommy J. Curry. The book is The Man-Not, Race, Class, Genre, and the Dilemmas of Black Manhood. It was fascinating stuff. This author, who is a philosopher and professor, he was saying that certain stereotypes, racist stereotypes of young black men, have infiltrated uh, academia and um, certain academic theories, in particular gender theories. Now, these racist stereotypes are things like young black men are are aggressive and predatory, and they ignore the humanity. They dehumanize young black men. So he wanted to get to the root of of this kind of thinking. Where did this kind of thinking ha happen from? The intellectual history of these words, the the lineage of of these these theories, and often these theories were by white sociologists, and they were doing bad studies that couldn't couldn't be justified. But what he found in the book, which was really interesting, which I wanted to share, and I think illustrates uh, the point I'm trying to make, is that he discovered that gender is a colonial category. It's, it's a racist term, reflective of a kind of white European thinking back in the 19th century. Now, gender the way the word was used back then, it wasn't a universal term. It was only for the patriarchal white class. So back then the thinking was that only the civilized patriarchal white class could have genders, and that the black race was ungendered and savage. So gender was not about bodies, it was about the white class. It's kind of this alienating thing. But you, so I just found that really fascinating how the, you know, that term now is considered universal, but its roots are racist, and he argues that it's perpetuated a lot of harm and racism uh, and bad outcomes. So young black males are overrepresented in the prison system and uh, in uh, violent statistics. So he wanted to get to the root of that. So a lot of these studies were by white people, and you know, he is advocating for more studies by black men for black men, or uh, pertaining to black men. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting how th there's that parallel there where the origin of words and the misuse of words can lead to harmful outcomes. So I'll just give a couple of examples. So heal and save. Terrell and Fiona, they say that there was 
essentially confusion with the word save and heal. So we know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek, and translators have to make difficult decisions when translating. And the, there's a, a real similarity between the words heal and save in Greek. So save is sodos, I think, and heal is sodzo. And they say that the word that was often translated as save would more aptly be translated as heal. Also, save and judge. And we need to be careful about the word judge and save. So Jesus testifies in John's Gospel that I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And then there's the story of the woman that was caught in adultery. And she uh, thrown before the Savior. And these Pharisees wanted to stone her to death. Well, Jesus got her off the hook and and said, said to her, Where are thine accusers? And he says, You know, neither do I condemn thee. So he wasn't a condemner. Paul teaches to the Corinthians that, quote, Being judged, we are corrected by the Lord, that we are not condemned. That's 1 Corinthians 11.32. What's really interesting is how the word accuser, kategoros, is the word used in the New Testament to refer to Satan. The book goes on to say that when we fully know someone and understand someone, we love them. We don't, we don't condemn them. Also, sin. They talk about sin and how it should be reframed as a learning process, education. That's how we progress. And that all things can be made for good through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And also they talk about a comforter rather than advocate. There are times where Jesus is characterized as our advocate. Advocate with the Father. He argues on our behalf to try and get us into heaven. He, so he, he pleads with the Father to try and get us into heaven. But, but that certainly puts God, our Heavenly Father, in a cold light. They discuss that as well. The way they believe the scriptures, and in particular the restored gospel, characterizes Jesus Christ as our persistently patient master teacher. He is the teacher who is devoted to his students. He stays late after class for extra lessons, gives us individual attention, and works with us tirelessly until we become like him. So I hope you enjoyed this, this episode. I appreciate you. And I hope it's of some help to you. God bless.